Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. So tonight I want to just continue in this message that I've titled Long Expected Hope. You know, I believe one of the things that, you know, that title represents is is our future and our eternity in Jesus. Amen? That is the blessed hope of the church, is that one day, church, this world will no longer be our home, but we will be with the Lord forever. Amen? And I don't know about you, but that brings me hope. That brings me peace. That brings me joy in my life, because this world, is, as nice as it's been, has also been kind of cruel at times. You know, it's been challenging at times. It's been, you know, uh, difficult at times to to sometimes be encouraged in the Lord because of all that we see going on in our lives and in our world, amen? And so tonight I I've, I've, uh, want to speak to you on the topic of peace, amen? How many of you need peace tonight? I believe that we all need peace, amen? And so over and over in Scripture we find the word peace. And this word in, in, in the Hebrew means shalom, and many of you have heard that. That word means wholeness. Harmony, security, well-being, and more than that, it's who the Bible describes the Lord to be. He is the Prince of Peace, amen? He is full of peace, and so we live in a time where I believe there is an obvious war against our peace. There is a war against, you know, what is happening in our lives. What does that mean? That means that there's, like, not just a feeling within, uh, if that makes sense, but it's a war against the person of Jesus, in this time and in this season that we're living in, we can see that, guess what? People don't want the name of Jesus to be mentioned. Amen. If you go around the world and if you go, you know, all across the world, there was a man in Arizona, and some of you may have heard about this on the news, but he was standing on a street corner and he was preaching the gospel. He was telling people about the hope and the joy and, and the forgiveness that Jesus provides, and he's preaching the gospel, and somebody takes out a gun and shoots him in the head. To me, that's what the picture of a war against peace looks like. When somebody is standing on the corner preaching Jesus, preaching hope in life. You see, the devil doesn't want to hear about hope in life because the devil's eternally doomed. Amen? And the devil doesn't want your ears to hear it. The devil doesn't want your heart to receive what, you know, who Jesus is. But we see that there's a war, there's an attack against peace. And so the devil is working very craftily to scheme against the people of God to rob you of your peace. He wants to take what he cannot have. He wants to rob from you what he has never been able to have in his life and in his life for eternity. Sometimes it's the smallest of things that will, you know, you know rob us of peace. You can have a conversation with somebody and they say one thing wrong and then the conversation kind of goes sideways and, and then all of a sudden you're, you're bothered or you're angry. There's bitterness, there's resentment there. And the enemy works hard to try to get those and use those little foxes to, to, to bite at our ankles to cause us to lose peace. Other times there's a lot bigger issues that happen in our lives. Other times there's loss of loved ones, there's our health and there's providing for our families, there's stresses of this life, there's even warring in the spirit for loved ones. All these different kinds of things will come to attack and ultimately rob us of our peace. But the question must be asked, why the attack? 
Why is the enemy waging war against the children of God for having peace in their heart? And I believe the answer is simple because a heart without peace is hopeless and not hope-filled. You see, if you've ever met a person that has, has somehow been severed from God, that is in the sense that, that they don't feel God near them or they don't know that the Lord is near them and, and they're just left to their own thoughts, their own reasoning, their own you know, kind of heart and mind. The Bible says that the, the heart is deceitful above all things. Amen? Your own heart will lie to you. Your own heart will tell you things that, that you would never imagine for yourself. What does that look like? That means that, like, you know, I, I met a lot of young people that, you know, the, the Lord calls them into ministry or calls them to, to serve God in some capacity. And, and, you know, I believe that at that moment that they, they hear the call of God, they hear the pull of God upon their life. There's excitement. There's joy. There's, there's something that, you know, fills their heart with hope. They, they see a future with the Lord, and, and, and it's, a, it's a blessed, you know, moment. It's a blessed time. But then all of a sudden, you know, they, they share that with somebody. They share it with a loved one. They share it with a close friend. They share it with somebody around them, and they say, you? You? Oh, you, you're going to be a pastor? Oh, God told you that you're going to do this? And what happens is the enemy will use that scoffing, that mocking. The enemy will use those people that are maybe close to you to, to say something in some kind of way that causes a level of discouragement to rise up in our hearts. And ultimately, we begin to doubt. Ultimately, we begin to question. We begin to wonder, well, you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe what they said is true. Maybe what they suggested over my life is the truth. And, and here's what I'm trying to get to is this, is that when the enemy comes in in those moments to rob us of those, those you know, the peace that God has placed in our life, we must run back to the Prince of Peace. We must never lose ourselves and be left in our own thoughts or allow ourselves to stay apart from God's word and apart from Jesus himself. Amen? Because if that happens, my friend, you will go down a hopeless trail of discouragement and despair. You will go down into places in your thinking, in your mind, in your understanding of who God is and what God has called you to do. You will go into places that you never thought you would ever say. I could tell you in my life over the, over the number of years that I've known the Lord, I've been told all kinds of things. Some things that were quite pleasant, some things that were, you know, sent by the enemy to puff me up, things that were sent by the enemy for, you know, discouragement of my heart. But nevertheless, no matter what was said, at the end of the day, if it doesn't line up with what Jesus says about my life, if it doesn't line up with what the word of God says, it must always pass through that filter before I allow it to affect my heart and my mind. Amen? It must always pass through the filter of the word of God. Philippians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up there. Verse 6 says this. We know these verses, but it says, Do not be anxious about anything, it says, but in every situation. I want to stop there and, and, and tell you what every situation means in the scripture here. It means every situation. Every situation. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, 
with thanksgiving, you present your requests to God. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray for the word tonight. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Father. I thank you for each and every one of your children that is present tonight. God, those that are watching, listening, Father. God, those that will even listen later on, Father. I just thank you for their lives, God. And I pray right now in this moment, Holy Spirit, that, Father, you would just, uh, Lord, just bridle our hearts, God. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would just use me, God, as an instrument, Father God, for your glory, Lord. And I pray that our hearts are open, Father God, receptive, Lord, to receive the truth that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see here in the scripture, anytime the scripture starts with do not, it's probably a good idea to, to listen to what is being said. Amen? Anytime the scripture is giving us a command, it says do not be anxious, do not be worried, do not be fearful. It's because it means that the opportunity to actually do what is being asked not to do is a possibility. So that means that, you know, he's saying here, he says, do not be anxious. Why does he say do not be anxious? Because the opportunity to be anxious will arise at some point in your life. How many of you have ever been anxious? Raise your hand. Well, anxiousness is, is kind of being, you know, worried about something. It's being impatient. Maybe it's being, you know, it, you know, you get, you know, butterflies, you know, because of some big news that you might be expecting. There's this anxiousness that could arise in our heart and in our life. And he's giving us a clear, clear instruction. He's saying, don't be anxious. When that thing wants to rise up in your life, the first thing that he's calling us to do is he's saying, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Can I tell you that the moment that anxiousness triggers in your life, there's something that is causing you to be anxious, stop and pray. Amen. Stop and pray. Don't allow that thing to continue to just rise up and boil up and bubble over, spill over to where all of a sudden this anxiousness is overtaking you and you're saying things that you would have never said and you're thinking things that you would have never thought had you just simply gone to the Lord in prayer. I believe more times than not, we, we find ourselves getting in deeper and deeper water because we've just, we haven't stopped from the get-go to go to the Lord in prayer. To take whatever it is that has risen up in our heart to him in prayer and say, Lord, this is what I'm dealing with. And I can guarantee, church, that the moment that you go to the Lord in prayer and you turn to him in that moment of prayer, the, the, the promise here is this, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Transcends means it's above, it's higher than. It transcends all understanding. It means that in the middle of whatever you are facing, you don't have to understand how it is that you have peace in your life. All you have to do is know who gave it to you, and it's God. You can go through the worst thing that, that could be imaginable in your life. You could go through a situation just like Job did. He's got, he's got, you know, sores on his body. His, his family has died. His, his servants has died. His business has, has been, you know, just completely destroyed. All of his cattle, his wealth, everything has been attacked. But in that moment, the Bible says that Job, he tore his robe and he shaved his, set, his head and he said, yet but the name of the Lord be praised. There was still thanksgiving that had flown from his lips, that had flown out of his heart despite what he was going through. And that, my friends, is in, indicative of the peace of God upon your life. 
that all of a sudden you don't know how it is that you're still standing. You don't know how it is that you're still worshiping. You don't know how it is that you're still thanking God. You don't know how it is that you're getting your next meal. But because you trust in the Lord, that peace that has come over your life in that moment, church, it guards you. One of the greatest stories that I can recall, and I don't have this in my notes tonight, but in Acts chapter 7, I believe it is, there's, there's the story about the, the stoning of, the, of, of, the, of Stephen. And Stephen was one of the, he was the first martyr as we know it in Scripture in the, in the New Testament church. You know, many people were murdered before him, but in the New Testament and after Jesus had ascended to heaven, Stephen is the first martyr. And I, I want to read that. If you guys can find that in the back, let me just find it for you real quick here. But Acts, I believe, chapter 7. I'll get to it in a second. So Stephen is speaking to the Sanhedrin, and he's, he's speaking to this group of people. And, and Stephen, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He stands up, and he's preaching the gospel to these people. He's telling them, you know, so many things about their past and about the things that they have done. And Stephen, as he's proclaiming truth, the Bible says that these men and these Sanhedrin people, they, they got really upset. And a lot of times when a person is preaching the truth of the gospel... And they're telling, they're telling it as it should be. They're preaching the gospel, you know, in a full, you know, full gospel sense. They're not cutting any corners. They're not leaving anything out. It will, it will anger the enemy. It will arouse the enemy in such a way that will cause people to get, you know, mad. And, and you know, it's, it's, you know, this demonic presence that will rise up in their heart that they'll get frustrated and they'll get angered at what's happening. And so let's go to verse 54, guys, Acts 7 and verse 54. So it says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, let me just stop right there. This is the key. Being full of the Holy Spirit doesn't say partially. It doesn't say a little bit. It doesn't say I got a little bit from the pastor that prayed for me that splashed some holy water on me. No, no, no. It's talking about being full of the Holy Spirit. This is a personal relationship with God. Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And it says, look, he said, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57. And at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses, they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. But verse 59 goes on to say, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Now, I want you to imagine this picture with me just for a second. Stephen has just finished preaching the gospel, and all of a sudden there is an uproar of people. There's a mob, there's an angry crowd, there's hundreds of people that are surrounding Stephen and they drag him out of the city. Now, notice what it says between verses 57 and 59. He's looking up to heaven. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He sees the glory of God. He sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they covered their ears and they yelled at the top of their voices. It doesn't say Stephen's worried. He's crying. He's scared. He's trying to hide behind anybody. But listen, 
They covered their ears. They yelled at the top of their voices. They rushed to him. They dragged him out of the city. And the next thing that says, while they were stoning him. So in case you don't know what stoning was, was they were literally physically picking up rocks and they're throwing them at one man. He's being bombarded by rocks on every side. Head, feet, eyes, toes, his entire body. They're throwing these rocks at him. And these are not pebbles, my friends. These are rocks. They are meant to destroy this man's life because back then they didn't have guns and they didn't have knives. So they found the next best thing and it was a rock. So they get these rocks and they're throwing them at Stephen in anger. And Stephen, because he's full of the Holy Spirit, can pray. I'm going to tell you something. If you're not full of the Holy Spirit, you don't have the power in the weakness of a moment like this to pray or to control the situation. But when you are full of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that in our weakness, we are made strong. In our weakest moment, we are made strong through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out. He said, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he had fell asleep. Now the falling asleep here means that Stephen's body is on the ground, but his spirit is in heaven. I want to tell you something, church, that unless we are full of the Holy Spirit, unless we pray, when the enemy sends the trials and the situations to disturb our heart, to rob us of our peace, we will be completely uncovered, we'll be susceptible to those attacks. And those attacks that he sends, they will, they will penetrate your heart. They will get through. But when you're full of the Holy Spirit, there's a guarding that happens upon your life. There's a peace that is sent like a shield around your life. That no matter what is even happening to you physically, no matter what you're hearing, no matter what people are saying about you, any of those things, there is a shield around your life through Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit. This is a peace that only God Provides. It's completely unexplainable, you know, how it is that, you know, Pete, uh, you know, Stephen, rather, was going through this situation, and yet he wasn't, like, losing his mind. I don't know about you, but, you know, if, if somebody threw a rock at me, I'd probably say, ow. <laughs> and if somebody threw a couple rocks at me, I'd probably run. You know, I, I don't think I would, would, would want to stay there and, and, and go through the punishment and go through the pain. But when you're full of the Holy Spirit, there's this beautiful protection that's upon your life because it's not only a guarding of your flesh. You see, in the flesh, people saw a man being killed. But in the spirit, God saw a man being resurrected. In the spirit, the Lord knew that Stephen's heart belonged to him. He knew that all of his trust was in the Lord. I want to read to you from first, uh, Isaiah rather, chapter 26. In verse 1, powerful few verses, and we'll just go through these as quick as we can. But Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 1 says this, In that day, now, when it's talking about being in that day, it's talking about the the day of the new heavens and the, the new earth. It says, In that day, this song 
will be sung in the land of Judah. He says, we have a strong city. He says, God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Now, I'll say this because, again, he's giving a prophetic description of the new heavens and the new earth. And just so you know, in the new heavens and in the new earth, there will be no need for walls of defense. There will be no need for walls of of protection. But what the scripture is actually pointing to here is is salvation through Christ is our defense. Amen? This is what it's explaining to us. So verse 2, it says, Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter. The nation that keeps faith. Verse 3, he says, So you will keep in perfect peace. Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Verse 4, he says, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. The Lord himself is the rock eternal. See, the peace of God can only be attained through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? It can only be attained through this measure, through the action of prayer and through the fellowship with the Lord. I, I, I've, I've said this before, I'll say it again, but when you've prayed about it, and when you've taken it to the Lord, then you can have peace in it. I'll say it again, when you have prayed about it, then you can have peace in it. Because the, the outcome or waiting for the desired outcome, waiting for God to you know, remove you know, the pain or the affliction or the trial or the thing that you're dealing with, that doesn't bring us peace. That probably brings more relief. Peace is when you're actually still going through the storm and all of a sudden there is a shield around your life of protection where the Lord is, is, is holding you in his hand. There's a covering that happens over your life. We know that Jesus can still any storm, amen? We know that Jesus is more than capable of telling the storms in your life to, to shh and be still. But we also know that there's times where he will allow us to go through trial that will build our character in him, that will build our perseverance, that will build you know, us trusting in him ultimately. He will allow us to go through those things. And so the, the point that I'm trying to make is that we must turn to him in prayer always. Always. Oh, but Lord, you know, you haven't brought the answer. Keep praying. Oh, Lord, but you know, hey, I still see the situation the same way. Keep praying. Oh, Lord, but you know what? My, my kid is still unsaved. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep believing what the Lord has said. I believe it's those who have wavering bouts with doubt and faithlessness or not trusting in God. Because some part or in some realm of their life, trust was broken. This is a big thing, I believe, uh, that a lot of people suffer with. And and maybe we've never identified this in our life, but I want to help you understand this. For many of you, you may have experienced things in your life that were very tragic, traumatic, or or what have you. and, And those are the kinds of things that cause us to trust less. They put a fracture in our ability to trust somebody else because guess what? You know, you may have placed trust in a parent or in a loved one, you know, a, a spouse, and, and they, they treated you wrong or, they, or they, they, you know, did wrong to you, you know, towards you. They hurt you, and, and that affected your life. So now all of a sudden you don't see people the same way, and therefore you don't trust the same way. Scars will leave us with the inability to trust 
the scars and the things that we face in our life will, will leave us with the inability to trust. You know, but I, I have to remind us tonight, it's not man that you are trusting in. It is not valuable beings. It's not people that, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you want to trust me with your soul, I'm sorry, you know, I, I'm not salvation. I'm not Jesus. Amen. Please say amen. I am not Jesus. All right. Amen. I have a beard, but that's about it. <laughs> you ultimately have to look past what it is that you've experienced in this world and in this life and say, I will not let that define my view of who the Lord is. I will not let that define my ability to trust in him because though man has failed me, God has never failed me. And guess what, my friends? He will never fail you. Never. He will never fail you in any way. Not trusting in Christ leaves the door open for the enemy to inhabit your heart and your mind. And ultimately to rob you of your peace. Because without trust you have no wall. See this is what the scripture was talking about in Isaiah. You will have no wall. You'll have no rampart. That means that your mind and your heart will become exposed and vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. A rampart in scripture is a wall of protection. A rampart was built around every city, you know, because it was used as a, as a wall of protection. But not only was it a wall of protection in the sense that, you know, the enemy couldn't come. It was actually twofold or, you know, it had more than, you know, two purposes. But the two that I'll mention tonight was one protection from, you know, invasion. But the other one was for the ability to stand above and to see the enemy coming. It was the ability to stand at a higher place, like, like this platform that I'm standing on right now, was just like a rampart. They could see something that was beyond, that was out of their normal ability to see. And I say this because this is really, really important for us to understand. When the scripture says the word is a lamp to your body and a light to your path, this is what we should understand. This is a rampart for our life. This is a wall of protection over our life. This is, this is what, you know, Stephen didn't even have this, but he, he had the Lord, right? You know, he had the promises of God. He knew the Lord, and it was a shield of protection. It was a shield of peace around his life. And this needs to be what is understood from this. This is the viewpoint, my friends. This is the viewpoint from which we are able to know whether God is speaking to us or the enemy is speaking. How many of you remember that story, you know, I already forget the title, but it was like the Trojan horse thing. What was the title of that? Iliad? No? Is that it? Yeah. Iliad. Omar. Omar's got me. We're communicating. But you remember there was this, there was this invasion, and they, they built this Trojan horse, and what did they build the Trojan horse for? You, you know, it, it was, was it a gift? Yeah, it was, it was kind of like a gift or something. But what did they do? The enemy was hidden inside of it. So then, yay, here comes the gift. Everybody's excited. Like, hey, cool. Man, look at the big horse statue that they gave us. And then all of a sudden, the enemy comes out.
there's a lot of things that will be told to you that may be presented like a gift, but at the end of the day, it could be a Trojan horse. It has maybe the appearance of something that is pleasing to us, uh, it sounds good, it maybe sounds nice, but ultimately it was a Trojan horse. It was, it was an attack from the enemy that was launched from within. What does this look like? Uh, the only example I can think of off the top of my head is, is for a young minister to hear something like, wow, you preach really good. Wow, you, you sounds awesome. You do a fantastic job. On the surface, this doesn't sound like a bad thing. But if it lands on the heart of an individual that is not guarded with the word of God in humility, then it can breed pride. Amen? Does that make sense? And so sometimes what sounds so nice, what, what appears so good on the surface is actually something that could be sent to destroy your heart if you are not guarding it with the word of God. I love what he goes on to say in the scripture. He says that when we sing in the land of praise, uh, it, that word Judah, he's talking about the land of Judah, that word Judah means praise. He says when we sing in the land of Judah, when we sing in the land of praise, it becomes a fortress and a city of defense for the righteous. I say this again because I believe it's important for us, you know, when we're encouraged, you know, to worship the Lord. And, and worship is so much more than, you know, singing a few songs together. Amen. We, I hope we, we understand that the depth of our worship is, is so much more. You could be worshiping Jesus doing the dishes. Amen. You could be worshiping the Lord, you know, cutting the grass and working on the car. You could be worshiping the Lord, you know, setting up some chairs in church. You know, you can, you, worship is ultimately our thankfulness and our gratitude and our heart towards the Lord at any given moment. Amen. It's always that. But here he's talking about worship and he's saying that when we are grateful to the Lord, it becomes a fortress and a city of defense for the righteous and the believing saints to enter through. And after you've entered through, your mind and your heart will tune in to the perfect peace of God because you're trusting in the Prince of Peace. To be able to sing in the middle of a war zone is probably a pretty, you know, you know, oxymoron looking picture because it would be something that you should never do amen if I was standing in the middle of the war zone I would I would be you know covered from head to toe in some kind of like gear and protection and and you know because I like to hunt and you know shoot guns I would probably have one of those too I'd be ready for defense right I'd be ready to attack but here the scripture is teaching us that, that our worship is actually a place that we enter through. It is a gate that we are able to pass through that leads us into a place of even being in the middle of a war zone. It sets a hedge of protection around us. It could be a spiritual bunker, if you will. In war terminology, there's, there's things called bunkers. It's a place where they are able to go hide. It's a place where they're able to find refuge while there's chaos going on around them. There's, there's a place that they can actually turn to because they've sought after the Lord. And so my encouragement to you tonight is that you should always give thanks to the Lord. You should always give thanks to the Lord. You should always praise the Lord. You should always be thankful of the Lord in every situation. How many of you need the peace of God today? Amen. Then trust in the Prince of Peace. We need to trust 
in the Prince of Peace. You know, peace is not just a feeling, but it is ultimately having the person of Jesus inhabit your heart. It is having the person of Jesus inhabit your heart. The Bible speaks of Jesus through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53. A verse that I quoted just a moment ago. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The word transgression means this. It means our inability to fulfill the law or our breaking of the commands of the law. That means that if the Lord gave us, you know, 10 commandments or 100 commandments, we would never be able to fulfill them all. You say, then why try? Because we have Jesus. Jesus is the only one who is able to fulfill every command. Jesus is the only one who is able to be perfect in every situation, and this is why we trust in him, amen? Iniquity also means this. It means our injustice, it means our wickedness, and it means our sin. So let's read this verse again with this understanding. It could read like this. It could read that he was pierced for our transgressions, which is our inability to fulfill the law and our breaking of the commands of the law. And it says that he's crushed for our iniquities. That is our injustice, our wickedness, and our sin. How many of you have ever sinned? Yes, raise your hand. Amen. We are all sinners. This is why we need Jesus. Amen. This is why we need Jesus because it says, the punishment that was on his body brought you peace. The punishment that was upon his life, the punishment that he took upon his back, upon his brow, upon his beard, upon his entire flesh, church, was what brought us peace. And that word peace is not just feeling, it's being right with God. The ultimate peace that you would ever have in your life is knowing that you are right with God. Amen? I can sleep good at night knowing that Jesus and the Lord could return at any moment. And guess what? I'm not worried about it. Some people are worried about it because of the way they live their life. The way their life is, is stuck in sin. The way that they're you know, being disobedient to God or what have you. But guess what? You can have peace in your heart and assurance in your life because you know that Jesus paid for your salvation. It's not salvation that you have earned. It's not you being good enough. It's not you being able to fulfill all the laws. It's not you being able to, to never sin again. It's simply trusting in Jesus. Isaiah 26 and verse 12 says this. It says, Lord, you establish peace for us. It says, you establish peace for us and all that we have accomplished, you have done for us. All that we are today is because of Jesus, amen? And it's only through accepting the work of Jesus, of the Son of God, that we can receive this prince, we can receive this peace. It's believing in what Jesus did. It's believing in who Jesus was and the fact that, guess what, he never has to do it again. And that gives us a peace that we can never find in this world. There's not an amount of money that you could ever earn that will ever fill that space in your heart where you could find yourself at perfect peace. There's not an amount of possessions that could ever satisfy your desires, nor an amount of friends or popularity. It's only through believing and accepting the work that Jesus did on the cross that gives us access to this protection of peace. Amen. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that unless there was a shedding of blood, 
there would be no forgiveness of sin. Jesus became the atonement for our sin. That word atonement means payment. That is that he received the punishment that we deserve so that you and I could be at peace with God. Are you thankful for Jesus tonight? We must be thankful. Praise the Lord tonight. Just thank him. The Bible teaches, church, that we were at enmity with God. That means we were enemies of God. An enemy is a strong word. If you said today, you know, you, you have an enemy, that means you have one that completely opposes you. An enemy doesn't care for you. An enemy is not looking out for your good. An enemy is not, you know, wanting to give you any kind of grace in your life. An enemy is, is, is sent to kill and to steal and to destroy from your life. And the Bible says that when, before we were with Jesus, before we surrendered our hearts to him, we were actually enemies of God. We were those who opposed everything that God stood for. We were those that opposed everything that righteousness, you know, embodies because we have wickedness and we had evil, we had impurity in our heart. But the beautiful gift of Jesus is because the Lord loves us, he's given us Jesus. He's given us his perfect son so his righteousness could become ours. Amen? So what we could never gain on our own becomes our possession through Jesus. Romans 5 and 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, unless you've made that decision, church, to trust in Jesus fully, can you have this peace? He says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Jesus has given us access to living a life of peace with God, Living that is not knowing the plans for your eternity is a scary place to be. See, there's a lot of people that are living in this life and in this world that they don't know the end from the beginning. They don't know how it is that, that you know, their eternity is, is going to pan out. And I would tell you that if, if you don't have peace in your heart that, that Jesus only can give, then my friends, I'm telling you, today and tonight and, and this day and in this hour is the time to turn to Jesus. You need to trust in Jesus. You need to place all of your hope in him. Because everything else that you may have tried to place your hope in in the past will fail you and has failed you. But Jesus, my friend, will never, ever fail you. He will never fail you. I say this because it's important that, that we understand this. We are not saved by a prayer. Can I say that again? You are not saved by a prayer. Oh, Pastor Duke, I went to a conference. I went to a thing one time, and I prayed the prayer. Prayers don't save you. Jesus saves you. Amen. Jesus alone is the one that saves us. Amen. We communicate to him through prayer, but we are not saved by a prayer. We are only saved through Jesus. Only through him do we have access into the grace which we are now standing in. That means, church, that we should have fallen. We could have been beaten down by life. We could have been destroyed by the enemy a long time ago. But because we believe in Christ, we can have 
ultimate peace with the Lord. Amen? Because the Son of God is living in your heart and in your life. I pray that the Lord Jesus is living in your heart tonight. Because maybe you've met a situation that's hopeless or, you know, you know, maybe you've faced something in your life that has been so challenging. But here's the deal. You haven't met a situation that is hopeless when you have the God of hope living inside of you. See, no matter what you could ever face in this world, nothing is hopeless with Jesus. Amen? You can see scripture after scripture of, you know, when, when Lazarus, you know, Mary and Martha's brother, you know, had had, you know, died. Jesus was in, a, in the nearby town and, and Lazarus has been dead for three days. And finally, Mary and Martha catch up to Jesus and they, they find him and they encounter him and they're, they're frustrated, they're angry, they're, they're, they're worried. They're saying, Jesus, if you had only been there, our brother wouldn't have died. And what looks like death to us looks like sleeping to Jesus. <laughs> Those who fall asleep will wake up. Amen. You know, might have to poke up a few times, but they'll eventually wake up. Those of you that have kids, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Every morning I have the privilege and honor to wake my, my two daughters up and I'll go in their room and first it's really nice and soft. Morning, girls. Time to wake up. Turn on the light and you see them kind of do one of those and they start squirming and said, all right, it's, it's time to wake up. And, and then I'll walk out of the room and I'll come back, you know, two minutes later. My voice gets a little louder. Okay, girls, it's time to wake up. Got to get ready for school. Yeah, you know. And then a third time, you know, okay, it's time to go. Got to get ready. And the tone changes every time because there's an urgency, right? We're against the clock. We got to get to school on time. And then I'll push and I'll prod and I'll, I'll finally get them to, to shake and wake and roll. And then, boom, their eyes are opened. Jesus is much more powerful than us when it comes to waking up a dead situation. Jesus is much more able than, than any one of us ever could be when it comes to resurrecting a situation in your life that looks completely dead and hopeless. Some of you are living in a promise right now today from something that you thought was previously dead. Amen. Just think about it right now. Stop what you're doing and think. Some of you are living in the middle of a promise, an answered prayer, something that you had asked God for a season ago or a time ago, and you're standing in it today. And I want us to take note of that. I want us to recount that. I want us to remember that every opportunity that we have so that we understand the faithfulness of God in our life. To understand, you know what, Lord, I didn't even think I'd be here today, Lord, but I see now... That God, that situation that I had prayed for a season ago, a time ago, God, you heard my prayer. You answered my prayer, Lord. You, you heard that cry, God, and all of a sudden I'm standing in the middle of that, that place that you had for me, that blessing that you had for me, the hope that you had for me, Lord, and it's all because of Jesus. Lazarus wasn't dead to Jesus. And I don't know what you're facing in your life today, but guess what? The situation that you could be going through, the Lord looks at it completely different than us. I just got a testimony. You, some of you may remember, I think 
two years ago, I went to Oklahoma to minister. And I'll, I'll wrap this up. We're almost done tonight. But I, I had the opportunity to go to Oklahoma to minister. Well, there was a particular lady that the Lord had me prayed for. And I, I prayed for this woman. And one of the things that uh, she was dealing with is, you know, I didn't know her. I never met her a day in my life. The Holy Spirit led me to pray for chronic back pain. I pray for chronic back pain. The, the woman is, 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 you know, in shock. She, she's looking at me. She's asking me if I read her mail or knew her business or whatever. And I said, I have no idea who you are. And I don't know about your life. I have no idea what, what's going on in your life. But the Lord told me to pray for that. Well, the next morning, uh, the next day, rather, you know, this was on a Friday night. I preached for three days. The Saturday service I go to, and she comes up to me, and she's just, like, jumping for joy, and she's ecstatic, and she says, you want to know something? She said, that prayer that you prayed over me, she said, I've been suffering from chronic back pain for the last 30 years of my life. She said, I've never slept better ever for the last 30 years than I did last night. She goes, God healed my back. Praise God. This same woman, this same woman was given a diagnosis uh, about six months ago. That she had cancer. Reached out to me again. Uh, and many people from her ministry. From her church. Her son is actually the pastor. And he's a good friend of mine. And we began to pray over her. Well she just sent me uh, a, a, a praise report. Uh, about three four days ago. Says you're not going to believe this. But I had a mass uh, in my chest. Um, you know she said. When the doctor told me, you know, what he saw in the x-rays, what he saw, like, in the MRI and all that stuff, she said, and this is faith. I don't, I don't care who you are. This is not denial. Listen to me. Faith doesn't deny, you know, what do you call it, you know, the existence of an issue. It just denies it access to, to, to your heart and to your belief. This woman is given a report that she has a mass in her chest and it's cancerous. And she tells the doctor to his face, she says, no, there's not. He's showing her an x-ray. There's a mass in your chest. And she said, no, there isn't. So she began to pray. And this was, uh, this was maybe four or five months ago, six months ago. She began to pray. And, you know, she sent me a big old long message and asked me to pray for her. We prayed. Well, she just sent me a, a, a testimony she was scheduled to have an operation about a week or two uh, ago, and she was supposed to have an operation because the doctors were going to go forward with the process because she has a mass in her chest and they need to take out the mass. When they're getting ready to kind of get her, you know, basically into like the pre-op and get her, you know, close to, you know, doing the final exams to, to get her checked out, they go back to re-examine her. They, they take the test again. She has nothing in her. No mass. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. I tell you this because to me, that is an incredible picture of what faith looks like. It doesn't matter who said it. It doesn't matter how qualified they are. It doesn't matter what their expertise is. It doesn't matter where it was sent from. If you would just trust and believe in Jesus. If you would just trust and believe in the Lord, only he can do the impossible. John 16 and 31, Jesus said this. He says, do you now believe, Jesus said. He said, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. 
He said, and you will leave me all alone. This is right before he was going to be taken to be crucified. He said, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Verse 33, he says, but I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He said, in this world you will have trouble. I want to read John 16, 33 again. I think a lot of people come to Jesus and they think that all of a sudden life's going to be perfect. Jesus is perfect. Life won't be. But life in Jesus, my friends, is hope, is salvation. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I want to encourage you, heart, today that there is no sickness that can rob you of your peace. There is no doctor's report that can rob you of your peace. There is no worry that cannot be remedied by the Prince of Peace. There is no pain in your body that hasn't already been taken care of and dealt with by the blood of Jesus. Amen. There is no demonic attack that can overcome your life. There is no mountain that hasn't already been destroyed for you through Jesus. And this peace that your heart and life needs is available to you right now. It is available to you today. You might be saying, Pastor Duke, how can I have peace when Jesus is in heaven? It's because he is eternal. The Bible says that he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. That it means that he is right here, right now. He is in this room. He is present in this place. He is present in your situation. And what he established over your life has no beginning and it has no end. And even when Jesus was born into this world, the announcement that was given in Luke 2 and 14, it said, glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. You see, when Jesus landed on this earth, peace came with him. Amen? When Jesus has landed and inhabited your heart, peace has come with him. Amen? And before Jesus would return to heaven, he said this in John 14 and verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. He said, my peace I give you. He said, and I don't give as the world gives. He said, so do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. A few verses later in verse 30, he said, I will not say much more to you. He says, for the prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold over me. The prince of this world is talking about Satan. It's talking about the destroyer. It's talking about the accuser of the brethren. And he's simply saying to us, he's saying, listen, we need to believe in what has been accomplished already for us through Jesus and not succumb to the doubts and the worries and the pains and the trials and the attacks of the enemy. Because guess what? The enemy has no hold over you because guess what? Jesus has a hold over your life. No matter what the enemy tries to bind you and I with, church, no matter what the enemy tries to destroy you with, it's already been destroyed through Jesus. And the reason the enemy has waged war against you is because of what the scripture says. Isaiah 48 and verse 22 says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. This is why the enemy wakes up every single day and he wants to rattle your cage. He wants to ruffle your feathers. He wants to bother you. He wants to just be a rock in your shoe. He wants to do anything and everything that he can because guess what? He cannot have what Jesus has given you. He has lost all access to hope. He's lost all access to eternal life. He's lost all access to peace. He's lost all access to everything that Jesus provides. It says there is no peace for the wicked. 
Satan will never have what you have. And so he tries to steal everything that God has given you. John 12 and 31 says this. Now is the time for judgment on this world. And it says, now the prince of this world will be driven out. Do you know, church, that when Jesus was hung upon the cross and he died and he, he was resurrected, he was placed in that tomb, and three days later he was resurrected, before he ascended, he descended. I'll say it again. Before Jesus ascended, he descended. The Bible says that he took the keys of hell, death, and the grave. He took everything that the enemy had possession of at one time over your life. He took every single one of those things and he said, no, 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 my friend. These do not belong to you. These belong to my Father. I have gone back to get exactly what it is. And those keys, church, is exactly what has opened the door for you and I to know Jesus. It's what's opened the door for you and I to stand in right standing and in peace with God. He always tries to take what he cannot attain. But my God in his word says this in Isaiah 40 and verse 23. This is the Lord. He brings princes to naught. And he reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. I saw a video today. Some of you may have seen this, but it came out on the news. There was a leader from the country, Turkey. They had the audacity to come after God's people, the nation of Israel. And this man is a Muslim, and he was talking about how Allah, his God, was going to unleash wrath upon the nation of Israel. And how many of you know the Bible's real? Amen? So how many of you know the Bible's still true? How many of you know that every single day there's checks, check boxes next to prophecy that are being fulfilled? This man launched an attack with his words from the nation of Israel on behalf of all of the Muslims. And he said, the nation of Israel is going to suffer the wrath of Allah. And moments after he said that, he suffered a heart attack and died. I'll read this verse to you again. He brings princes to naught and he reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. It doesn't matter what they say against God. It doesn't matter what they say against God's people. But guess what? God will have the final say so. And if God wants to destroy somebody, God can destroy somebody in a second. John 8 and 23, it says, he continued. This is Jesus speaking. He said, you are from below and I am from above. He said, you are of this world and I am not of this world. Guess what, my friends? You cannot destroy in this world what is not of this world. You cannot destroy Jesus. The enemy thought he destroyed Jesus when he saw him bleeding out on a cross. But guess what? The Father had the final say-so. Can somebody glorify the name of Jesus tonight? The beautiful thing about Jesus is when he gives you something, he gives it in endless supply. He gives it in endless supply. We may struggle now because we are in a world of struggle. There's an attack against your soul day in and day out. And that war where we come in and out of peace, where we come in and out of, you know, hope, where we come in and out of joy, 
It's the enemy just, you know, trying to steal those things from you. Listen, my friends, one day there will be an eternal peace. One day there will be an eternal hope. One day there will be an eternal joy. That moment that we cross the threshold into the pearly gates of heaven, my friends, there will be a place where there is no more tears, a place where there's no more pain, a place where there's no more hopelessness and despair, but a place, my friends, of pure bliss and pure joy and pure just, you know, being in the presence of God, that will be the best place that you could ever be, my friends. See, when Jesus gives, he doesn't give like the world gives. The world demands. And the world wants something back from us, but Jesus gives it to us free, without condition. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.